0: you might uh, be wondering why we acknowledge black history month and i want you to know that it's because we believe that we need to become as christians more and more aware of what's happening around us uh, our past our present and what our future will be like And uh, clearly, awareness is really the beginning of us doing anything in regards to racial reconciliation, and dealing with any kind of issues of injustice. Uh, Every human being, every human being uh, is really, um, bears God's image and should enjoy therefore uh, the same dignity, worth, Uh, and protection. I think that is kind of a general truth. Even in our nation, it should be a truth. But for us as Christians, we need to realize that there's even a greater step that we need to do. and That is that we need to recognize that we are all one in Christ. Those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus For the salvation of our souls, need to realize that we're one. And Ephesians chapter 4 deals with that. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, in in a minute. But I clearly want you to know that we need to become more and more aware so that we can be more proactive in what we do, even in our nation today, which is so divided. John Perkins is a great man. Probably the first year even that I was here, John Perkins was in town and spoke uh, here at this church. He is a Christian uh, sociologist, author of numerous books. Uh, He's been a pastor. He is uh, just a a tremendous guy. And uh, we kind of laugh because on uh, one special occasion, uh, he, not too awfully long ago, uh, as a very old man now, uh, he said to me, I need a chauffeur. And uh, so I really would like to have a white chauffeur. And so for a certain period of time, a few days, I was John Perkins' chauffeur, and I loved it. We spent time together, we, we talked together, and what a tremendous uh, man of God. And uh, just to hear all that he's been through and so forth, and, and he clearly has been part of uh, uh, the history of the United States and black history in particular. And uh, so I, I just uh, love him and uh, just think so uh, highly of him. Now, I want to recognize just a few people. And whenever we do that, I, I know that we can miss someone or whatever, and, and uh, somebody could feel uh, slighted. But uh, I want you to know that um, Pastor Burns and his wife Val are away uh, on a trip, and uh, uh, his mom and dad are here. Pastor Denny Burns and Beverly are here, and we welcome you today. And uh, we're so thankful that God led uh, your son uh, here to this church. And then I also just wanna recognize somebody who's been away for the last month or so, and uh, that's Brock Montgomery, who's sitting right up front. Brock was uh, in Washington, D.C., sleeping in garages and uh, sleeping on the floor of Congress as as an MP in the National Guard uh, protecting our nation. And I just want you to know, Brock, that we appreciate your service. And uh, we're glad that you're here today. And so now I want to draw your attention to uh, the scriptures and to the book of Ephesians. We're going to uh, talk about uh, God's design for his church. God's design for a healthy church, if you will. And uh, we're going to stay focused on uh, Ephesians chapter 4 And uh, as uh, our uh, announcements uh, made clear, probably the subtitle of this uh, sermon could be uh, Church is a Team Sport. Now by saying it's a sport, we're not making light of church, but we need to realize that uh, all of us are important, that God needs uh, to uh, do his work here with each and every one of us and he will utilize uh, the the different gifts that he has given uh, to uh, his people. And so church is a, is a team sport, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 4. And so you and I, when we think about the church, sometimes we'll, we'll think, well, are we talking about, quote, the universal church, the global church, or are we talking about uh, the local church? And uh, I, I really... Um, want you to realize that there is such a thing as, quote, the universal church. And the universal church really is made up of all individuals uh, throughout history, in a sense, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And so they become part of the body of Christ. They become part of that church. But I also want you to realize that the New Testament, in in my uh, belief anyway, the New Testament repeatedly emphasizes the church as the local congregation uh, or gathering. And so even in in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25, it's talking not about the universal church, but the local church when we're told that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so as Paul is talking about really the church in Ephesians chapter 4, I think he's focused on local churches, and uh, I've read a a great book recently. In fact, it's where I got the subtitle that church is a team sport. It's a book written by Jim Putman, and here's what Jim Putman says. I believe the local church is God's vehicle for reaching the world one person uh, at a time, one town at a time. We use our talents, gifts, and resources to minister in our communities in ways that can be done only as a collective force. And so you and I may are part of the universal church, but if you're really walking with the Lord, you're part of a local church. And you are active in that local church. And so Ephesians 4 really is talking then about the the calling and conduct uh, of the church itself. Uh, This uh, book of Ephesians, I found out not too long ago doing Bob Emery's uh, funeral, that the book of Ephesians was his favorite book. He loved this book. And uh, we're not doing a study of the entire book today, but I want you to realize that the first three chapters are dealing with doctrine. Paul is really teaching, he's dealing with theological issues, and then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, and we'll focus on chapter 4 today, he's dealing with our duty as Christians. He's dealing in a very practical way of uh, how we're to to act, how we're to uh, practice, and so forth, and so I, I want you to realize that in chapter 4, I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to read verse 7, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 11 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along, or follow along on the screen. But here's what Paul says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Then drop down to verse 11. Verse 11. We've looked at this a few weeks ago, and he says, and he gave, uh, and he gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints uh, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to uh, mature manhood. To the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ, uh, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head uh, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is uh, working uh, uh, properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself uh, up in love. And so here's this healthy church, especially when you think of verse 13 through verse uh, 16. What is that healthy church? Well, it's a church that's united. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. It's a church that's growing. You see this maturing and growing pastures. So a healthy church is where its members have uh, truly uh, uh, focused on growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see here that they're speaking the truth in love. That's a healthy, healthy church. And then he tells us that a healthy church is a well-functioning body or system or team or family. And so we need to know what the Apostle Paul views as a healthy church. So that we can say, well, we're healthy in this area, not in this area, or we're, we're healthy in most areas, or we're unhealthy. I mean, there are some churches that are extremely unhealthy. Uh, There are churches that are not only in the hospital, but they're in intensive care, and they're on life support. I'm glad that that's not true of our church right now. But we need to be focused on how do we have a healthy uh, church. And so in this chapter... Four. Let, let me just give you an overview of the chapter before we look at some particulars. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that we, we need to uh, walk worthily. And so he emphasizes that uh, in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so he tells us that we need to walk worthily in a worthy manner as followers of Jesus Christ. So to be part of this family, to be part of this team, you have to understand what Paul is saying in some sense in the first three chapters and especially in chapter two. How do you get on the team? How do you become part of the family? Well, you become part of the family by realizing that you're a sinner, that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and uh, that there is absolutely no way that you can work your way into the team or onto the team. And so how do you get on the team? Well, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary, where he gave his very life, where he shed his precious blood to make atonement for our sins. And so when we accept what Jesus did for us, we become saved individuals who then become part of the body of Christ, part of this team. And so he talks about how as part of this team, we need to walk in a worthy fashion. Well, he also tells us in verse two that we need to walk humbly. Uh, in, in verses uh, four to three, or uh, chapter four, verses three to six, and, and uh, elsewhere, he, he talks about how we need to walk unitedly. He tells us uh, that we need to walk purposefully, verses seven through sixteen, the part that we we read really shows that a church has to be moving in a purposeful manner, we need to be the the church doing what God wants us to do and uh, then he tells us, I think in verse seventeen and eighteen that we need to walk truthfully and lovingly, and then of course he Concludes verses all the way verse nineteen uh, through cha- uh, verse thirty two and, and into chapter five as well that we need to walk spiritually and so he he, he begins that you know in verse uh, seventeen on really when he when he talks that we're to walk in in a way uh, that honors and glorifies God we're to be concerned about spiritual things more than physical things well I want you to to realize then. In the portion that we read, that there are three characteristics of of the local gathering, three characteristics of a healthy church that I want you to take note of with me uh, this morning. The first one is oneness. And so we need to realize that uh, a healthy church uh, is a church that is one, it's united, it's living and and moving in harmony, and so uh, you know we gather together then uh, to worship together we we gathered uh, really to learn how to do life together, we gather to uh, bring the troops together so that we can minister together and so you know we are. Uh, a church that needs to be united. And I want you to notice what he has to say, even in chapter four, notice in uh, uh, beginning in uh, verse uh, four, he says this, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. What is he emphasizing? Well, he's emphasizing that uh, we're to be one. So he gives us this sevenfold unity here that should be bringing us uh, together as the church. But I want you to notice again in verse 13, which we read, until we all attain to the what? Unity of the faith. What we believe, our faith ought to draw us together and help us to live in unity and harmony with one another. But then he also talks about this unity and oneness, you know, really in verse 16, when he's talking about from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so the emphasis here is on this oneness. Well, Jim Putman in his uh, book uh, on uh, church as a team sport says this. We are a body of believers working as individuals and together as a team to achieve uh, the Lord's goals. I have seen many who play a team sport but think only as individuals. People like Uh, may have a good game as players, but the team loses because the players care little about the team. This game we play cannot be won without a team. And so you and I need to realize that uh, church is really the model then of uh, oneness. And so we, we need to realize that uh, we're to be, as Martin Luther King uh, Jr. emphasized, that we as the church are to be the headlights in regards to unity and harmony and, uh, and reconciliation. We're to lead the way. And so together uh, means that all true believers, regardless of, of class or, or color or, or culture, all are one in Christ. When we uh, take the Lord's uh, prayer in Matthew 5 to heart and we pray as it is in heaven, uh, so should it be here. Well, what's heaven like? Well, when we go to the book of Revelation, we see heaven uh, as a place where people from every tongue and nation are one together. And what are they doing? They're praising God. And that's what the church should look like uh, here upon uh, this earth. And so uh, um, Paul is emphasizing here then that uh, we're, we're to be uh, one. There's to be this, this unity. We're to, the church is to be the model of oneness then. And he wants us uh, to realize then that uh, all are one in Christ. There's neither Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. And so all are one in Christ. And that's what really overcomes uh, racism and divisions. We're to be one. And so with this uh, unity and uh, harmony, I just want to comment that, uh, you know, our vote uh, last Sunday for uh, governance change, uh, 96% uh, yes vote. And uh, I I just want to thank everybody for voting, regardless of which way you voted. You care about this church, and I'm really thankful as the pastor who is on his way out that there's such unity and harmony here. Uh, I've had phone calls from people um, way outside of New York that heard about this vote and on governance and. They just wanted to talk about it, and and, uh, even yesterday, a a friend of mine from years gone by called me and and said, wow, 96% vote on a governance change in a Baptist church? Unheard of. Well, it's a miracle to be sure, but I want you to know that that 96% vote on that governance change really is a sign of a healthy church where there's unity and harmony. And so Putman says this, we're a body of believers working as individuals and together as a team to achieve the Lord's goals. And uh, so you and I need to realize that uh, we are to be one uh, in Christ. And so really, when you think about that oneness and you think about this whole issue of body life and, and a team and so forth, you, you realize that, um, you know, believers are called uh, to gather together and to use their different gifts and abilities uh, and so forth for, uh, for God. And, and all are needed. Everyone is needed. Well, that really pushes us to the second issue, though. So when we think of oneness, well, then Paul talks about giftedness. Verse 7, he begins it. But grace was given to each one uh, of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so every believer has been given a gift according to God's sovereign plan and purpose. I don't think that uh, we decide and say, okay, here's the gift I want. No, God gives us those gifts. He grants those gifts. And so, you know, the gifts are are divinely designed by God. They are uh, not only divinely designed, but they're distributed by God. They're distinct gifts. And they're very diverse gifts. Just the way God himself wanted it. And so uh, some believers are are gifted in in different ways that we see in in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 12. And here, however, he not only talks about the gifts of all the believers, but he tells us that he's given to the church, not for his benefit, but for our benefit, not only the gifts that he, he distributes to everyone, but he gives us gifted positions. So he talks about the apostles and and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but you need to realize again that some believers are called to function as gifted, uh, in in gifted positions. And so we talked about that. Uh, There's this working model, I think, here in Ephesians chapter four. And the working model is this that Pastors prepare people to do the work of the ministry. Members do the ministry. And then what we see here is this whole issue of growth. And so the gathering then grows. So what should we be concerned about as uh, members of the church, as congregants of the the church? Well, we, we must perceive our part. We must understand what's our part, what's our gifts, what's our abilities. We all don't have the same gifts and abilities and talents. So we have to perceive what are those gifts? What are those abilities? What has God given to us uh, to to do and to be good at? Well, then I think we not only need to perceive uh, our part, but we need to perfect our part. How do we get better at what we do? And see... You, you, you can't just think, well, the pastor needs to study and get better at his preaching and teaching. He should be doing that. I don't know many pastors that, that don't. But you see, whatever your gifts are and whatever your abilities are, whatever your part is, you need to be asking yourself as well so that this church is the healthiest it can be and grow. What's my part and how can I improve on doing my part? Well, then, I think it's not only important that we perceive our part and perfect our part, but here's the bottom line. You have to perform your part. Simple word, do. And so, oftentimes in Scripture, you know, we're, we're told that, uh, you know, we're, we're to do Good. And so we're to perform our part. We're to to make sure that we are doing uh, what God wants us uh, to do. And so when we perceive our part, when we perfect our part, when we perform our part, then the body grows and we're a healthy church. But guess what? It takes all of us. And so when we, we think about uh, the whole issue of, of giftedness and so forth, we, we need to realize that for a church to be healthy, you need everybody. Everybody. The whole team's important, uh, regardless of, of what position you might have. And it's God's way then of helping keep help Uh, the body uh, healthy. And so gifts are, are given for us to honor and glorify God, but you realize that the gifts that God's given us, they don't benefit him. He didn't give us all these gifts to benefit him. He gave us these gifts so that we'd honor him with them, but that those gifts are given to benefit each other. And when you aren't using your gifts and abilities and talents to honor God the rest of us suffer because the body then isn't functioning the way it really should. And so uh, we, we need that unity, that spiritual growth. We need to be speaking the truth in love. We need to be a well-functioning uh, body. And so, you know, pastors teach the scriptures, the truth, which equips us so that we build up, the, so that we're built up in the faith strengthened, given biblical knowledge and applying it in order to carry out of the ministry that God has called us to do. And so God help us that we might be a healthy church like a team uh, working together, uh, every member functioning effectively and ministry will be performed by each and every one of us. So this healthy church, there's oneness, unity and harmony Secondly, there is giftedness. But here's the third and the last thing that we'll mention this morning, and that is purposefulness. And so we're to do the work of the ministry. We're, we're to use our giftedness and gifted leaders to do a number of things. Not necessarily in this account, but clearly when you read the scriptures, you realize that, that uh, a healthy church Uh, In relationship to the Lord himself, uh, really, we're called to live for him uh, and to glorify him. Probably that's seen in our worship. When we worship, when we're we're singing songs uh, of of worship, we're, we're really, you know, glorifying the Lord. We're called to do that. But when you look at the scriptures and you see the purpose of the church, clearly one of the purposes is to live the great commandment that we're to love one another. Next week we're going to talk about love. Aren't you glad, men, that you were reminded, I won't say warned, but reminded that next week is Valentine's Day? So you can go out and get your wife the best vacuum cleaner or whatever that you know she might want and uh, we had such great advice by three of these young guys that totaled nine years of marriage what else could we want see and so here though we're we're told that we're to live the great commandment we're to love Uh, John chapter 13 tells us that verse 34 and 35 and uh, I think that Paul is, is saying here too, though, that we not only need to love people, we're to love the truth. And this verse that we so often use, by principle, I'm sure it's true, that whatever we say, we need to say in love, but that's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is this, that when we speak God's truth, his absolute truth, his objective truth, when we teach it, when we live it, when we talk to people about it, we need to do it in love. So we uh, shouldn't use God's truth as a hammer, beating people over the head. And So we're to love people, we're to love the truth, and we're to speak the truth then in verse 15 in love. Now if you wonder uh, where some of us get our concern about you know, even meeting needs and social concerns and all, it's really from this issue of love that we reach out to people, we we try to deal with injustices, we try to minister to the body of Christ and to the world uh, because we want to show the love of Almighty God. Well, we also have this purpose uh, to carry out the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Such a key issue. So, So we're to evangelize And as that portion of scripture emphasizes, we're to disciple. You see, it's not enough just to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. We're to go and tell them about Jesus. That's how they get on the team. That's how they become part of the family. That's where, when they accept Christ, they have the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life. And so we need to evangelize. But you see, the great commission tells us that we need to disciple them. We need to teach them. We need to help them to observe everything that he's commanded. You see, it's all part of one thing. It's always great when you hear of people, Pastor Burns and I were talking about this just the other day, people that have been led to Christ years ago, and they're faithfully serving God here now. You see, that's the Great Commission where they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and a church has come along and taught them and encouraged them and equipped them. So now what are they doing? They're sharing the gospel and they are reproducing themselves. And so here's my way of looking at this purposefulness in one simple way. It's all encompassing purpose of the church is this. We are to worship God, and in love, we are to evangelize and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything the Lord commanded. Because all it's all about truth. Learned, loved, and lived. Well, let me end with three questions for you today. Here's the three questions. Are you qualified to be on the team? And so if we take my subtitle, Church is a Team Sport, are you on the team? There's no tryouts. It's not, well, okay, let's see how good you are. No, to get on that team, you need to make sure you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to become part of the family of God the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to be on the team. And that's to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Where he shed his precious blood and paid the penalty of our sins. That's number one. So are you qualified to be on the team? Secondly, are you part of the, of the team? You see you might be qualified to be on a on a team and you might be part of the universal church but you're not even on a team which is the local church. And being on a team doesn't mean you just go to church. It means that you are an active part of that church. That you are a team player. And so the third question is this, are you doing your part to make the team effective? We must all depend upon the Lord, and no matter what happens in a good way, it's of God. Because only God can really change hearts and, and, and bring us together and allow us to be unified and living in harmony. But you see, when you understand this whole team concept and how Paul is talking about this family, you realize this, that as part of a team, all of us need to be doing our job And so are you doing your part to make sure that the team is effectively functioning. So here it is in one simple thing. You are needed desperately to make sure this is a healthy church doing what God wants us to do. Let's pray.